It's so weird. Like something out of a fairy tale. You see someone talking, but it's your voice that comes out. You look around to see if anyone noticed, but they're all just smiling along. No one seems to realize that it's your voice they're hearing. It's yours. Not theirs. Stop, stop applauding them. They're not doing anything. You did it. You did all of it. They stole your voice. And now they're getting the praise and awards for your work. I know you signed a contract, but being a Hollywood ghost singer kind of sucks. This is Cursed Knowledge. I'm Harper Hunt. And I'm Ben Hunt. And I'm tired of fighting it. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I tried to deny my true nature, but the truth is I am I am a musical nerd. I am a movie nerd. And so today we're talking about movie musicals. And we're starting. Here we go. We're starting with what I, I will put up a very strong fight for this. What I believe is the best movie musical of all time. Tell me. Singing in the Rain, 1952. <laughs> hey, you're amazing, Harper. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, Gene yeah. Kelly, Who am I to fight this? Debbie Reynolds. I, so I, all I know from Singing in the Rain is the scene where Gene Kelly, I mm-hmm. didn't know that was Gene Kelly, does his, he's dancing and he's singing in the rain. That's what I know about the movie. I know, I know nothing. I don't know the plot. I don't know what it's about. Mm-hmm. I just know that scene. All right. Well. Allow me to educate you. <laughs> You've got your Gene Kelly character, yeah. Don Lockwood. He is a famous star of the silent movies. Oh, okay. And he has been paired with this woman, Lena Lamont. Alliterative, yes, good. Of course. They are Lockwood and Lamont. Lamont and Lockwood. They oh, okay. are that on-screen pair. Silent. Silent movies. It is one of, if not the largest change in the way we tell stories. Yeah, I had no idea. So Singing in the Rain, the plot is about that transition also. Sort of. Okay. So it's about that transition. And they're like, okay, so this new Lockwood and Lamont movie has to be... A talkie. A talkie. The problem is, Gene Kelly is, well, Gene Kelly. Lena Lamont, played by Gene Hagen, is doing this Harley Quinn meets Fran Drescher and the nanny that like was the Babylon thing too, vocal right? Thing. Yeah. Right. And the whole thing is what do you do when you're a star and you've got a in terrible the silent voice. era and your voice is just not just not working. That's the plot of Singing in the Rain? That well that's the start of Singing in the Rain. I keep saying that like I don't believe it, but I had no idea. I really didn't. Don't worry, we'll get to the part where he sings in the rain. Okay, okay, good. Anyways, good. that's the main idea. Then you have Debbie Reynolds' character, Kathy. Kathy is this young chorus girl who you know, uh, Gene Kelly immediately falls in love with. Let me guess. She's got a good voice. She's got a very good voice. Okay. So they're making this movie. Kathy's given kind of an ensemble part. And the initial premiere, total failure. Okay. Stinks. <laughs> Everyone hates it. So the characters get together and they're like, what if we use Kathy? Debbie Reynolds. Ange- Debbie Reynolds, sweet angelic voice Kathy. And have her record all the lines 
for the leading lady. And just dub them in? And just dub them in. Okay, great. All right, now I get it. Of course, there are shenanigans with the leading lady. Shenanigans, for sure. finding out, yeah. being furious, demanding it be kept a secret. And then the big climax is that the movie premieres, it's a hit, and everyone de- calls for our lead actress to come and perform a song live. So you have a very man-behind-the-curtain moment where you've got We've got a leading actress in front of the curtain lip-syncing. Debbie Reynolds is behind the curtain actually singing. And, oh, those plucky, lovable guys who just care for her so much dramatically go over, drop the curtain, and reveal <laughs> that Debbie she's Reynolds is the one who's actually singing. That she's the one who's actually singing. Now, a rather famous ironic twist of this movie is that Kathy, the character, is the ghost singer. Right. Debbie Reynolds is singing for... Gene Hagen. Gene Hagen. Okay. Debbie Reynolds is not singing. Oh, come on. (laughs) Betty Noyes is singing for Debbie Reynolds, who is pretending to sing for Gene Hagen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, wait, They cast Debbie Reynolds to be the real voice of the star. Movie star. Right. But... Debbie Reynolds can't sing? Debbie, that's the thing. <laughs> Debbie Reynolds can sing. Okay. She sings a lot of the songs in this movie. She's a very good singer. But for the big dramatic reveal, the studio decided her vocals weren't enough. So they did a Singing in the Rain plot on, on sing- Singing in the Rain? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That's amazing. And this was actually a huge... <laughs> it was both a well-known secret, but also one that no one ever talked about was the playback singers, the ghost singers of the movie musicals of this time. Right. So this, this is this is a common. common thing. Yes. Ghost singers, not ghost yes. writers that I'm familiar with, but ghost singers. Ghost singers were very common. Millie Vanilli of the 1950s. Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. And, you know, Millie Vanilli is a pretty good example here because we're used to assuming like lip syncing. I'm not here to cast judgment on lip syncing. I think that there's a lot of valid performance reasons why you do it. You know, if you're on a Macy's Day parade float, audio's not going to be that great. Lip syncing is fine. Usually with the assumption, though, that you at least recorded the original. Exactly. You're lip syncing to your own voice. Right. That it is yours. It's more so where people have issues with it. I find with lip syncing, the two rules are either make that part of the bit. Right. Or don't get caught. Or don't. Don't right, be right, Ashley Simpson right. in 2004 SNL. And in any event, make it your own voice. If you're going to do it, it's got to be your own voice. Yes. Not to have a ghost singer. So the problem, oh, or you wow. get more scandal when it's like, okay, so not only are you not singing, but it's not even your voice that you're mouthing the words to. How So how prevalent was this? I know you have an answer for this. I mean. Um, basically, you can assume that Every movie musical made, pretty much until very recently, but definitely if we're looking at like the 1950s, 1960s, mm-hmm. golden era of the Hollywood musical, there was dubbing everywhere. Wow. Everyone got dubbed at some point. <laughs> it was, it was I mean, constant. I mean, I'm not, you know, a huge fan of those movies like you are, but I, I feel a little cheated. <laughs> and that's how a lot of audiences felt. On one hand, you know, it was commonplace, so it's not like they could say, how dare you do this? I didn't know about it. Right. But also, you're kind of going in, they're selling you this story that 
you know, Deborah Carr can really sing that well in The yeah. King and I. Yeah. And then Deborah Carr goes on to her interviews and she says, no, Marnie Nixon sang everything. Oh, so so all of these big, the the big ones, I, I mean, even mm-hmm. I've heard of The King and I, right? So oh, my, the big ones. Yeah, my grandmother was a huge fan of that. Anyway, so anyway, that held another story. Well, so Marnie Nixon, actually, to focus on her for a second, King and I, Dr. Shivago, those were my my grandmother's big so here, faves. So here's the thing about Marnie Nixon. Okay. She has the most insane resume of any ghost singer you'll ever know. Never heard of so her. So she was, that's the point. Right, I'm getting that, yeah. She was the voice of Deborah Carr as Anna in The King and I. She dubbed Natalie Wood as Maria in West Side Story. Oh, come on. That's impossible. She was all the, all the high notes. Marilyn Monroe, gentlemen prefer blondes. That wasn't her? That was, a, I mean, I can kind of believe it. A but, lot of it was wait, Marilyn. Natalie Wood didn't sing? Natalie Wood didn't in sing West a Side note. Story? Didn't sing a note. Wait, did, uh, okay. Okay. The most famous example, though, is she was the voice of Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. <laughs> I, I feel a little shattered by this. this right? One. Right. But so. But Audrey Hepburn can sing, right? Right. So here's, here's kind of. Okay, uh, there's a. Oh, this is my favorite part of Curse Knowledge. There was a big scandal around the release of My Fair Lady concerning this. Okay. So, a quick timeline is that My Fair Lady, My Fair Lady was released in 1964. Okay. So, by the time Marnie Nixon was brought on to do the singing vocals for the character Eliza, mm-hmm. she had already done The King and I, West Side Story, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. She had a resume and She's very good at matching her singing voice to other people's yeah, talking voices. Right. So that's amazing, right? Because you would, I mean, not that I'm, like, say, a mm-hmm. big aficionado, but I'm, I mean, I'm guessing that it worked, right? That the talking voice right. made sense for the singing voice. No, she she's very good at matching what a skill. that. Yeah. Um, and so the big scandal around My Fair Lady had to do with the casting of Liza. Because My Fair Lady was originally a Broadway musical right. that was a huge hit. The original cast recording sold over 4 million copies. It's the Pygmalion story, right? I mean, I, yeah, yes. Eliza George Little. Bernard Shaw. Yep, yep, all that. Yes. Yep. It was number one at the box office, at the at, on the charts. It was everything. It was Hamilton, to kind of put it oh, to wait, modern so, sorry, perspective. Sorry, sorry, so, so it was a play, and it, they recorded, they made like a... Okay, so the timeline goes... It is a play, Pygmalion, yeah. that is then turned into a musical, My Fair Lady. That is now a Broadway musical. A Broadway musical gotcha. that they are now doing a recording of the Broadway musical. This is so funny because I mean, again, I'm just your grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, my father. Yeah, I remember our stereo. It was a Ken Kenmore stereo. Is one of these anyway, all these little things, and and that's what he had. He had. Some album, a lot of albums, mm-hmm. and I guess about you know a third of them were these recordings of plays. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. So this, this was, but though, like again, I compare it to Hamilton to give you an idea of the cultural significance impact that it had. Right. If you followed any of this musical theater stuff back in the 1960s, you knew about My Fair Lady. More particularly. You would have known about its breakout star, a young, unknown woman named Julie Andrews. Oh, come on. <clears throat> really? Julie Andrews was the original <laughs> Eliza Doolittle. 
And so singing the part Sing, on Broadway yes. was Rex. I mean, actually, Rex no, Harrison. Re, actually, no, Rex Harrison yes. from My Fair. So he was also on the Broadway. He was also the original uh, professor. Gotcha. So setting the scene. Yeah. It's insanely successful. And like you see now with most things, Hollywood they make a look, movie out of it. Yeah. It started all the way back in the 60s. So Warner Brother bought the rights to the musical. They paid $5.5 million. A lot of money back then. It was obscene. Yeah. And the production budget ended up going to about $18 million. Wow. Crazy at, money back at then. At the time, I mean, yeah. it was the most expensive movie musical ever made. Mm-hmm. They were banking so much on this movie. And Jack Warner was very involved, and he, he decided that they're putting so much money into this. Hollywood is a business. They can't go with a new face. With Julie Andrews. Julie, listen, we know her now right. as once in a generational talent, Julie motherfucking Andrews. <laughs> she was not Julie motherfucking Andrews when they were casting. Even she, though she was the star of the Broadway musical. She'd played the role for three years on Broadway. Oh, wow. Okay. So she was incredibly talented and no one denied her talent. The problem was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't. She could. They didn't think she could open the movie. She didn't. And also, she'd never been in a movie before. Oh, There's right. a lot of very talented theater actors who right, are who can't never, make the transition. Yeah, right. Likewise, there are a lot of film actors who just can't carry that presence over to the mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. two different mediums, and it was not a gamble that Jack Warner felt he can take. So instead, he cast Audrey Hepburn, who he estimated could bring in you know, about $5 million just in pure box office revenue from her name alone. Mm-hmm. So she was going to be the star. She was Eliza Doolittle, My Fair Lady. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Audrey Hepburn thought that she was going to be singing the majority of the part. Right. Here's the thing. Eliza Doolittle is an incredibly challenging part for any, even a trained singer. Hmm. It has a lot of very high soprano notes, especially the notes in I Could Have Danced All Night. Very hard to hit. At times, you're also now trying to sing in a Cockney accent. You're switching accents as you're singing. There's a lot of comedic timing. There's a lot of emotion in the songs. They're difficult songs to sing. As opposed to like Rex Harrison, who I think is, I think you've described this before. Talk singing. Talk singing. Yeah, I love that phrase. I love that. He's talk singing. And that's fine. So Rex Harrison did come over from the original Mm -hmm. Broadway cast Mm -hmm. to join the production. Piece of cake. He can do that. Which was fine. First off, his the vocal role is less challenging, I would say. And also, you already now have Audrey Hepburn right. as your lead. So Audrey puts in the work, though. She is doing vocal training for months leading up to it. She is aggressively studying the part and doing the best she can. And we know Audrey Hepburn can sing. Moon River is one of the most famous songs ever from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right, I remember it, yeah, sure. At all, which had already come out at this point. The American Film Institute, they released a ranking of top 100 songs in 100 years. Mm-hmm. Moon River ranks at number four. Wow. And these are songs like from movies. So Audrey Hepburn can sing. She can sing. The problem is she cannot sing like Julie Andrews, <laughs> which to be fair, most mortals can't. And the, honestly, no one had any problem with it at first. The casting was kind of like, oh, that sucks. It's not for, Julie Andrews, but it's still that sucks okay. for Julie. But yeah. it's it's Audrey motherfucking Hepburn, right? Like she is a massive 
star and a fantastic actress. So they go in, they shoot the movie. The problem is that another movie comes out just before My Fair Lady. Okay. Mary Poppins. No way. With Julie Andrews. With Julie Andrews as the lead. (laughs) Okay. So now people have seen Julie Andrews command a movie. Right. She's now a star. They've seen that that all of these concerns about if she could, you know, really lead a box office smash, of course she can. Right. She can sing like an angel. Right. She she can make you cry on a dime. She can portray a million different emotions at once. Like she is all a that. star. Mm-hmm. And everyone Mary Poppins came out first. Everyone had time to fall in love with Julie Andrews. <laughs> and now they're like, "Okay, well, let's see what Audrey Hepburn can do." And I want this to be very clear. Audrey Hepburn kills it as Eliza. Her acting is phenomenal. Her comedic timing is impeccable. Like, she delivers on this role. And and she is the main character. Mm-hmm. She carries this movie. And it is a massive financial success. It is the top-grossing film, I believe, of that year. Hmm. If not, it's going to be like the top three. She does everything Warner Brothers expected her to do. Did she sing? No. <laughs> and that wasn't her fault. She thought that she was going to be doing like 80% of the singing mm-hmm. with like Marnie Nixon coming in to do that last 20. She's going to be singing everything except those insane high notes. That's when you'll get Where they help. brought in this mythical Marnie Nixon to do that. Mythical Marnie Nixon. <laughs> Amazing. Warner Brothers flat out lied to her. Mm-hmm. And then they told her on set, you're not singing anything. So none of the singing is Audrey Hepburn. It is maybe 2% Audrey, oh, wow. 98% Marnie Nixon. Marnie Nixon. And there have been, it's been released uh, a while back, actual footage of her singing some of these songs. And she's good. Right. She's not Julie motherfucking Andrews good, but she is a good, competent singer. The studio just, that was not the voice they wanted. They wanted to cast Audrey Hepburn, but they didn't want her voice. Amazing. Yep. Which, honestly, if you know the plot of My Fair Lady or Pygmalion yeah. is, well, is, is a little is it a, little, a little on the nose. A, a little, little bit on there. the nose. Well, when did this, or has it, let me ask you, has this stopped? I would it hasn't stopped. Hmm. It hasn't stopped, but it has kind of fallen out of favor, if that makes sense. I guess, yeah. People are more willing to put up with now, I would say, let's say not so great singing if it's the real actor. That's why we have The Rock rapping in Moana. Well, that, you know, that's an interesting point because I, I think of musicals today, so many of them mm-hmm. are animated films, right? Where you've got the, vo- but they're still associated with a well known character, right? The Rock, or, you know, here are these voices that are cast yeah. for these animated characters. Can they get a ghost singer there? Does it matter? So I I will say that um, in a lot of films, no, because especially when you're doing, I would say, big budget films, Mm -hmm. less so because people demand authenticity. Think about about, uh, the Les Mis film, where not only everyone has to sing live and in one take, pretty much. And listen... Russell Crowe could have used a little bit of dubbing. You know, I think that's it, Harper. It, so today, people put up, I think, even to my, I'll call it untrained ear, mm-hmm. 
I see some of these animated and the the singing can be pretty rough sometimes, really rough sometimes. But it doesn't matter because it's not about the singing. It's about the, as you say, the authenticity or the character mm-hmm. of the human being who's playing the voice. You can also do it more often in kids' movies, where kids aren't going to know the difference or care about it. You, Zach, know, you yes, like Kim? Yeah, yeah. Zac Efron does not sing in the first High School Musical. Oh, now, come on. Now, now that's Drew, what I actually yes. was, you know, because we had to have the soundtrack, and we played that yeah, constantly. For you, I mean... Oh, my God. I know all those songs. <laughs> Father high of School Four Musical Girls. 1, High School Musical 2. I, I know them all. I know them all. You're welcome. Uh, no, so in the... <laughs> Wait, so Zach Efron didn't sing in the movie? In the first one. So the first movie, he's not singing. That's all done by Drew Seeley. He does go on to sing and use his real voice for the second and third movies. There was a third High School Musical. <laughs> that one had a theatrical release. Yes, there was a third movie. Okay, okay. Was it, there's so much about this that that we can't explore. One mm-hmm. one aspect of this that I think about though is that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that there is, I'll call it, between auto tuning, mm-hmm. right? That that it's easier to make a so-so voice sound. You know, not as so-so, just from the We're able the way to it's amplify mixed. voices more, We, especially back then. And put it on tune, yeah, right? Yeah, especially, especially back in, like, the 60s and the 50s, you know, you kind of needed to have that sheer raw talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now you're able to do a lot more with just, like, you know, we're just going to pitch it up a little more. This is fascinating to me because I think that, that I'll change it a little bit to something I know about, but it's a very similar dynamic mm-hmm which is ghostwriting of books. I mean, the the most famous example of ghostwriting is, is also from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And it was from uh, then-Senator John Kennedy, won a Pulitzer Prize. Really? Yes, for the book he wrote, the biography he wrote, called Profiles in Courage. And it's stories, I forget how many it is, like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, seven, stories, profiles of U.S. senators who broke with their party and did something brave, you know, even at the cost of their senatorial elected popularity, but did it, you know, ah, courageously politi- for the country. The right? political mavericks. Exactly, exactly. And it was a huge bestseller. And, mm-hmm. you know, written by a sitting... It, the book, even when it was published, people said, okay, that's got to be... Kennedy's speechwriter, a guy named Ted Sorensen, mm-hmm. who famously was Kennedy's speechwriter. Right? And he won a Pulitzer Prize for this as him. And he never said, I mean, it was totally ghostwritten. Sorensen never actually came out. He, he said, well, yeah, I wrote, I, I looked this up mm-hmm. because this is what he said. He said, I yes, I wrote a first draft for all the chapters, and I love this phrase. I did choose most of the words for the sentences. <laughs> Isn't that a great? I love, I love the idea that you just handed like John Kennedy right. this, JFK this. Like I imagine like a word scramble. Yeah. Like you hand him a bunch right. of like right. words I, together, and it's like now make a sentence. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just, I did choose most of the words for this, and it's just like okay, I, I, I get it, but it didn't uh-huh. matter. 
right? It didn't. It, it didn't matter. And, and you've got ghostwriting today. So I mean, Michelle Obama's book was ghostwritten. Um, yeah, there are lots of still examples. I, I assume it, most celebrity memoirs exactly, are ex- exactly exactly. It's changed a lot, I think, in that the the ghost writtenness of it doesn't matter, so long as it's conveying that person's personality. Mm-hmm. Or so, so the and there's a lot that technology does too. I'm thinking about, you know, Chat GPT writes a ton of stuff. I'm talking about what you know most of academic dissertations and all, and, and all the day are, are cobbling together of other people's writings and words. And so it, it almost seems like it's so prevalent today, the whole notion of someone else is doing mm-hmm. the selecting of the words for the sentences, right? right? But, but so long as it somehow conveys you, that authentic you, no one cares. Right. There was a, there was a similar idea with, um, with the ghost singing mm-hmm. because the reason why studios insisted on this is because they needed to have an air of perfection around their stars. Their stars had to be more than human. They couldn't be fallible. And so it was like Audrey Hepburn can sing, but Audrey Hepburn cannot sing perfectly. Right. Right. The way they need her to. And we can't tell people that. That's fascinating because it's very different today, right? We we almost want that fallibility. I think, right? I, or it's I, not the I same. There's, sen- there's not the same kind of surface veneer that you're trying to project. In- I would say it's more so that we crave authenticity and finding those flaws, those cracks, those moments of weakness makes someone feel more relatable. real to us. Feel, makes it feel Relat- relatable as opposed to the movie star on high. Yes, I think that's been the biggest shift in the culture around this is relatability. We yep. didn't. Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe was not relatable. Audrey Hepburn was not relatable. No. These were not figures that you felt like, you know, I think if we hang out, I feel like we'd have a lot <laughs> right. to talk about. <laughs> Grace would. Kelly was not relatable. Not relatable. No, no. But, you know, I think a lot of people think that, you know, I think if Zendaya and I actually had a chance to talk, we'd get on really <laughs> well. You'd be, you'd, be, you'd be BFF, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's been a definitely a cultural shift. But Harper, here's what I'm I'm thinking, or I see where this goes, is that that notion of relatability that can be constructed mm-hmm. and faked, and and so I'm I'm kind of thinking ahead to well, what's Hollywood going to be? What is content going to be? A nobody writes books anymore, so so book writing that's done. Movies are still made. I think it's going to be easier to make movies, particularly with the video authoring capabilities that are coming Mm -hmm. out now but it's like anyone kind of can create these characters and and have the technology tools you know chat gpt make this Mm -hmm. character more relatable yeah and that's definitely something that you see people get i i will say that i've seen that discourse about relatability and faking authenticity Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen more with recent social media stars because how to be a social media star or influencer is still very new and very unknown. We don't know how these careers play out. But what we do know is that oftentimes they gain their following through a sense of relatability. 
But then, you know, they've got millions of followers. They're making giant brand deals. Suddenly they're wearing Chanel at Fashion Week and they're hosting the Met Gala, interviewing people. And you kind of have to look at them and you wonder, like, where did that relatable person go? Mm -hmm. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for your success. But that original reason why I was so invested is gone. Amazing. Harper, this has been an incredible episode. I've really enjoyed it. I had I had kind of I've thought about these kind of modern versions of this, but I had no idea kind of the history of it going back in Hollywood. It's always been going on. It is it's absolutely insane. And if you really want a good time, look up the nineteen sixty five Oscar race because all of that drama with Mary Poppins and My Fair Lady gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, you can't. I, I, I thought we were going to wrap it up, but you can't leave us like this. What happened at the oh, Oscars? Oh no! Oh no! So the drama is Julie Andrews first wins the Golden Globe for best performance in a musical or comedy for Mary Poppins. For Mary Poppins, and she thanks Jack Warner, without whom this opportunity would not have happened. Oh, that's good. Then at the Oscars, My Fair Lady wins eight Academy Awards. Oh wow! Audrey Hepburn is not nominated for Best Actress. Wow. The fact that Warner Brothers lied about her singing involvement, tried to play it off, and just their poor handling of the situation turned public opinion against Audrey. Holy cow. She did not even get a nomination. And remember, she was fantastic in that movie. Yeah. She was the star. Did Julie Andrews win? Julie Andrews won. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Thank you, Harper. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something new. And remember, the real curse is sharing this information with your friends, family, and unsuspecting coworkers. If you enjoyed this production, like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell us your most cursed knowledge by joining us on the forums at epsilontheory.com.